Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello, Art of War family. Welcome back to another podcast. We're very excited this week to have the one and only Dallas Rappaport on to talk about Tyranids in Ninth Edition. Uh, luckily for us, he's joining us all the way from the East Coast, and he's got a lot to say. But before we get to that, I just want to remind all of you that you can find us on the Frontline Gaming Network, and you should check us out there because there's a lot of really good Ninth Edition stuff. That's a very technical term coming out every day on the Frontline Gaming Network. Okay, uh, joining me as always is the one and only Nick Nadavati, one of the best players in 40K history. Please, Nick, don't let that go to your head. Uh, too late, I guess, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, but it, Nick has been around forever, and he's going to help guide the conversation by asking really smart questions, and I'm going to ask all the really dumb questions. So, Nick, why don't you go ahead, introduce Dallas, tell people a little bit about him, and let's get this party started. Sure thing. So Dallas Rappaport, or Dallas Tubby, as I like to call him, is one of my really good friends from the northeast area of the country. He plays Tyranids pretty much exclusively, and uh, I've helped him go out, get a lot better from very, his very first GT to uh, now it's very consistently going like 5-1, 6-1, that type of record. I think he's gone undefeated at a couple major events. Um, not too shabby with the little bug creatures. Um, Dallas is probably the one of the best Tyranid players you've never heard of, so if you have no idea who I'm talking about, uh, the man is one of mystery. But anyways, Dallas is here to talk about his love and affection for Swarm Lord and all things six-limbed. Dallas, say hi. Wow, that was quite the intro, Nick. Thank you. That's probably the nicest you've ever been tonight. Don't get used to it. Fair enough, I won't. Uh, yeah. Uh, why don't you kind of walk us through what list you want to talk about today? And uh, just kind of go top to bottom, like this is my battalion of this, that's that, whatever. Yeah, sure. Um, so I kind of have a list I've been playing with um, through about you know one RTT and about four or five practice games. Uh, it's kind of evolved since then, but I guess we'll start with this as a base and we can kind of walk through its evolution. So uh, the list is basically, it's a Patrol of Kronos, um, which is a Neurothrope, a couple squads of Termagants, two Exocrines. Uh, the two Exocrines typically get the five of Imbol save. I believe is Dermic Symbiosis. Um, then there's a Vanguard of High Fleet Leviathan, which is a Neurothrope, three by five squads of Zonethropes, and another squad of Termagants. And then I have another patrol, which is Gene Sealer Cult, Cult of the Foreign Emperor, and that's a Jackal Alphys, two squads of Brood Brothers, and then two squads of Free Ridge Runners. And that's basically been my starting point as far as lists uh, in this edition, and it's evolved a little bit uh, since then, but you know, I've taken this into an RTT. I went 3 0. So that's where I'm at right now. So it sounds like you're taking a list that's got a lot of concepts that many of us have tried here in Art of War. And like the Zone Thropes, the Bridge Runners, I'm a big fan of it. And you've kind of taken a little bit of all of it, only six Ridge Runners. Uh, and you've also made use of three detachments, kind of cutting deep into your CP. How do you manage all that? Like, why do you think this is the right mix for it? I mean, I guess, you know, if you look at Tyranid's last edition, they were extremely CP dependent because they required in order to do all the cool tricks you could do. Last edition, it's, you know, specifically with Gene Stealers and Cold Ambush and all those things. Um, you know, you really needed that. I found so far in this edition, especially with the CP regen, that you know, you, we've lost a lot of those tricks. So I'd rather just try to max out on the efficiency of the units than max out on my uh, stratagems. I think it's, you know, there's more value in uh like getting the right high fleet for everything, getting the right um, cult, all that. And I think, you know, it's really not that bad when you, you know, you get the one detachment for free, say you're one patrol, and then you're, you know, you're down five or six command points, depending what you begin with. So you start the game with seven to eight. Um, and I've just found that's always been enough, especially with the regen. You know, most of the uh, strategies that I use are one CP. So it really just hasn't been an issue. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I found something similar. Like you can start the game with very little CP if you're just spending on doing like one strat a turn for one CP, something like that. And then you can just uh, kind of continue on from there. Yeah, I mean, I, I've also noticed thing. that like you know, with Gene Sarah Cold, there's a way you can kind of jank your way into some CP. Like I've had a Nexus in there before. I've tried the, 
the warlord trait that gives you d3 cp um i just found it really wasn't necessary so i cut it but like if you feel that is necessary there are ways to to sneak it in there for a few extra where you're almost at the same point you would be if you just had a battalion and a patrol or something so why have you gone for kind of like the units you have the breakdowns you have like two tyrant effects why not three two units three rich runners why not nine like why are we kind of mixing it up instead of taking just span of the most efficient ones uh got it well first off they're exocrines, not terrain effects, so check your facts. But um, basically, the smattering is I think it just each one provides each one of these units alone doesn't give you what you need, but I think combined they do. Like, I don't think taking nine ridge runners, I think it's too many because there are a lot of things you don't want last cannons against, um, and you want the volume of fire of exocrines. And the other issue with ex or ridge runners, like you, they can just get you know, they're kind of susceptible to last edition, you can just touch them and really shut down their shooting. Yeah, they're a blast weapon now as well. Yeah, exactly. So like they're kind of susceptible to that, but like Exocrines, on the other hand, can shoot into combat. They have volume of shots, 12, they're great at killing space rings, but they're only strength seven, or they're only strength seven. Um I think that's an issue with them. So they don't give you what Ridge Runners do, where they can give you strength nine last you cannon with plus one to wound and really kill big targets. And I think the the zone throws fill the role of, you know, some units are just not very efficient to shoot at. There are just certain rules of feel no pain, minus one to hit, invul saves, wherever, where shooting is just not the efficient way to get rid of them. And that's kind of where the zone throws come in, where they can kind of bypass a lot of those rules and just put out a ton of mortal wounds. The exocrines also basically sit in the back, don't give you any war control, never want to move, and they just want to shoot the whole game. The zone throws can be more aggressive because they're very durable, they've been out in the open. And the ridge runners are kind of in the middle, where they're susceptible to getting touched, so you don't want to be too aggressive with them, but they're very fast, so you can move them around. So, like, you know, I haven't gone all in on any units. I feel like you need all of them to kind of cover your bases. That makes a lot of sense. Like, Ridge Runners are really great when you want last cans and have you stubbers and your opponent isn't touching you. And actually, really great when you want that kind of medium strength, decent, and moderate damage kind of thing. But, you know, they're not going to be great at killing a wave serpent with a serpent shield. That's where you want the last cannon. So, a little bit of all of it makes sense. Do you find from your opponent's perspective that they can kind of realize which of the threats you have, the mortal wound zone throws, the exocrines, the ridge runners, etc., and focus on that one or move that one? The other two aren't super great against it. Um, honestly, I found that like people always shoot the ridge runners first. I think it's because I can shoot like an exocrine in the back and it's a five up invul, 12 wounds. You know, it does degrade, but with the dermic symbiosis, it's very slow to degrade it gets doubled cannot count saying double the wounds and there's these ridge runners in the front that are basically like any gun you shoot a ridge runner is pretty much good against it like if it's anti-tank it's good if it's small arms it's good if it's t5 a four up save so people always shoot those first i kind of yeah. find it it's the easiest return on investment for your firepower like if i do 10 wounds to an exocrine i have done nothing to help myself in the immediate future whereas like if i do 10 wounds to a ridge runner and probably i'll be doing 12 is a uh, the same amount of firepower to do to a 10 wounds to an exocrine should probably do 10 12, 14, I imagine, to Ridge Runner. I've killed like two Ridge Runners and really reduced the firepower coming into me. So that's a nice aspect of it, too. One thing I, I find really interesting about Ridge Runners is it never feels efficient to shoot them. It just it never feels great to me. Like, I want to shoot them, but I never do as much damage as I want because of, well, I don't know if you have the feel no pains or whatever, but a lot of times they have saves and feel no pains. Feel no pain. That's just a Ridge Runner rule. Yeah. And, and so it just sort of like, you know, and toughness five. You know, it, it makes all your bolters and stuff not great into them. I don't know. Like, I I hate dealing with a lot of ridge runners. Um, I just I don't love it. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, there are cases where you kind of shoot a lot. I mean, there are a lot of wounds, and the feel of pain is annoying, and they also don't degrade. So you could do you know fifteen wounds to them, and you've killed one ridge runner, and then you that's it. No other damage. It, no other shooting is degraded. Nothing. So there is that factor as well. And, yeah, I feel like that also allowed the experts to do work with, with the Chrono Psychic Power, Symbiostorm. I mean, those things just pick up so many units that are good in the game right now. Like, Marines are everywhere, and like, against Intercessors, I mean, they'll just, they just scoop them right up. So. Interesting that you're firing, like, oh, the Exocrine does the right Marines. So yeah. Um, so, do you think it's a, and I guess we'll get into this a lot in our secondary discussion, um, which will be part of this. But don't you feel it's a bit of a liability to give up max uh, bring it downs? It definitely is. I mean, I think a big part of the secondaries now are, you know, it's not like it was before where it was kind of like you ended the game or like, well, these two are max and this one I'll maybe max. Like they're, they're difficult now. Um, and having a secondary that, you know, you can almost walk up the table and be like, well, I'll just take this because of course I am. Um, it definitely is. I just haven't found too much of a better solution to it. Like, 
looking through what my options are available, I don't think going out of my way to try to avoid that is worth the sacrifice of just cutting all the ridge runners or, you know, other options like dropping down the exocrines. I mean, I have another list that ha- doesn't have the ridge runners, but as far as just that secondary, it hasn't come in yet. That might be something I find, you know, if I play more and more tournament games against higher and higher competition, that is a liability. But at this point, the trade off has been enough that I'm willing to drop it just for that reason. Yeah. And honestly, I find that with a lot of factions, if you're, especially like the Xenos ones, which only have so many viable builds and a lot of the stuff in their books, apart, your best bet is to spam out. An art, a unit type like vehicles, for example, works same thing. Like mech works is really strong right now, but that's kind of their only viable option. Then just embrace that you're giving up a secondary. Don't go hamstring your list to try to make it not great to avoid giving up your Whatever you, you avoid giving up in the secondary by not taking the better units for bringing it down, you're, you're just going to miss those points on your own ability to score points later on. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd rather risk giving the points versus just getting. Getting crushed and tabled and losing, so I'm with you on that. All right, Dallas, I do have a question. There's there's two things that are not in your list, and I kind of wanted to talk about maybe why they're not there. One is Kraken Steelers, which have been a staple of you know tiered lists forever, and then the other is Hiveguard. Right? You don't have either. Oh, all right. Can't wait to talk about both of these. So my life now. (laughs) So Gene Steelers, where to begin with them? So they went up. They went up in cost prohibitive. So they're 15 points now. Near the end of 8th edition, they were a little long in the tooth and showing their age. Now they're even more expensive. Other issues mainly is just the core rules of the game. The whole point of Gene Sealers before was that you could do 8,000 tricks to them and get ridiculous value out of them. By They can move 36 inches, charge something, they can run and hide, they can run, they can wrap stuff, they can walk into things. You could string out across the whole table with that and Literally none of that exists anymore. There's also the fact that you can simply shoot into combat now. So you can't just tie every all the tanks. You can't do any of that. And I also think the issue is they used to be before where you could you had a five involved, you could catalyst them. So you could go and pretty much wrap anything. And even if it countercharged you, you were fairly durable against it. I think now with like the amount of attacks that like a squad of intercessors or like some of those white scars of marines and stuff with like five guys can do, they'll just walk in and punch you to death with a bunch of strength for attack. So Gene sealers are completely out the window to me as far as uh, viability. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have anything else to add. Like you said, they were really showing their age towards the end of 8th edition, and now with the now with ninth edition kind of removing the only thing they did, which is janky assault tricks, uh, it, they're really in a rough shape. Yeah, I was just wondering if they might be good because they are OPSEC and they do have unlimited movement that they yeah, can really... Yeah, that brings up a good point, though. Um, yeah, they, they do play the 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 objective gear. This, uh, yeah, the objective game pretty well, I think. Although they may be prohibitively expensive and too fragile for that. But I was just curious what you guys thought. I agree with you uh, on a lot of those points, but I think instead of Steelers, to me, I'd rather just take. And that's kind of where the other list I'm working on is going. Is I'd rather just take ten man Hormigant squads because instead of worrying about wrapping stuff and getting killing value out of that, I'd rather just be able to fling a unit that far, and instead of wrapping, instead of this, it's just I'm gonna steal these two objectives from you, and then touch this so you have to shoot next turn. And just sending those 10 Hormigons on a one-way ticket and using it that way. So I think a lot of what you said is still valuable tactics-wise. It's just I'm shifting away from a 15-point gene stealer to I'm trying to survive and wrap stuff and keep going with them, versus this is a one-way ticket. I'm going to steal two objectives from you, and I'm going to touch this stuff so you have to shoot it and stand in front of you and get all that out of a 60-point unit. That's kind of where I've gone as far as... um, you know, the movement tricks and stuff, et cetera. That makes total sense, yeah. So let's talk about Hiveguard now, because most oh. of the tiered players I know, they're kind of a staple in their list, so. I think Hiveguard are one of those units where if I went into a game and knew what the terrain was and knew they were going to shoot all game, they're fantastic. They're great, they, they ignore cover, they're strength eight, which is great against Marines. The problem with them is every single artillery unit in the game is better than them in a head-to-head matchup, and they're 300 points. So you play for an old person with one Scorpius, they're just getting picked up. They're going to get... It doesn't even matter if you get first turn, because it outranges you. So they're going to go, they're going to shoot first, and they're either going to name the squad or just pick them all up. If you play someone with um, the names case of the Eldar artillery tanks. Yeah. I do think there's a, there's a good argument made that the artillery kind of across the board has gone up in points, 
And you're seeing a lot less of it. Now, there are still exceptions, like people do run Scorpiuses and Space Marines. But I, I can't remember the last time I saw a good list with Triple Might Spinners in it. See, that might, that might just be my own uh, personal bias. I've been playing a lot against, like, the games I've played have been so against Space, a lot against Space Marines and Eldar at the tournament and my practice games. So it might just be a little biased for myself, but... Um, yeah, I mean, play the meta you're in. Absolutely. It, yeah, it just seems like, I mean, there were games where I'm like, these would be awesome, and then there's games where I feel like I'm literally just hanging three points down. And, you know, you can reserve them, but it's like, that's 2CP, they're not coming into later in the game, they've moved, and it's just, it's a lot of resources to try to keep them alive. Um, and maybe that changes as, you know, there's a real meta evolving, and you find a way to deal with, but that's just been my experiences. There's games where they dominate, and there's games where they just get picked up. And there's also the terrain issue, as far as, like, whether your corner ruin has holes in it or not. Because if it doesn't, then they can be up against the wall. That's a huge difference. And if there is holes in it and they can't be hugging the wall, because then they can be seen once they touch that drain and they have to be like in the it. back corner. And that's, you've just lost like eight or nine inches of range. I was saying that's 36. You know what I mean? It's, I, I, there's just a lot of variables when it comes to that. So that's that makes my a lot of sense Hive Guard. Mm -hmm. and, and honestly, I find Hive Guard also to be unreliable, even when I do get to shoot with them. You know, hitting on threes, reroll ones is not bad. But then there's no wound buff, and then only AP minus two. People can just spike their five up armor saves. That happens all the there's time. There's also the fact that I don't care what the rules actually say. Shooting twice is a minus two to hit modifier on them, and <laughs> it's I don't I I don't care what the rules say. They're atrocious. <laughs> Maybe that's just my personal feelings on it, but. Yeah, I know. I've got like a very polarizing. Unit. You're making a joke, right? You just yeah, roll really yeah, bad. I'm making, I'm making a joke. The amount of times I spent two CP and done three extra who actually wins or something is brutal. Yeah, I just want to make sure that two players understand that you, yeah, you are no, actually... I'm totally making a yeah. joke. They shoot the exact same. It's just, it seems that way at least. How often do you find yourself shooting with them? I know they're not even in your list. Just curious. How often do you actually shoot twice your hive guard? I find myself very rarely doing it the more I it, play it, with them. It, it's usually when it's like overkill. I never do it just to be like, oh, I'll just shoot these again. It's more of just like I can uh, mathematically, I absolutely should kill something, or like I need to take this objective. It's just like it's one of those strategies, it's like a back pocket strategy. It's just like you go through your turn, you're just like, oh, this sucks. I think it's two wounds left, left on it. So I'll just spend two CP and shoot it again. But it's not like it's like, oh, these just shoot twice every turn. Okay, this is yeah, it's just it's, it's just a, a very valuable option. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I'm just curious on your take on it. Yeah, that's pretty much how I've used it. So I noticed there's also a lot of. Ridge Runner, or not Ridge Runner, uh, Gene Steer called stuff. And we had Alex McDougall on, which is a well known Tyrion player, a couple weeks ago to talk about his mono Gene Steer called army. Mm -hmm. He's using a lot of tricks with Brood Brothers and Acolytes to steal objectives and stuff. I imagine you're using something very similar with your detachment. Yeah, basically. I mean, it's for an Emperor because I know, you know, there hasn't been a real uh, generations in the making nerf to that strategy, but not being able to re roll it to me just makes that. So unreliable. unreliable. Yeah, it seems like um, you know five six times still works, still pretty good. But like when you're putting three CP into the dumpster to have no no like benefit, it does suck. Yeah, I also find that it's just I mean like I still like having it because there's sometimes where it's like I could almost win the game if this works. So I'll chance a one in six roll that it doesn't happen. Like if you can stop certain stratagems, like and also think, to, to that end, like certain strategies, like uh, maybe this is an outdated example, but something like. Cloud of Flies or or Grot Shields, like if you can turn that strategy off or turn actually kill the twenty five Ludas, this is very outdated. Then you can uh, you can really change the dynamic of the match altogether just by having it in your list. Absolutely, I mean if you're deep striking with something that requires um, you know a strategy to make that reliable, like you don't know if I'm going to use it or not. I could chances are I am just going to roll a two up, and then that unit just sits there, and it's a huge part of your strategy. So like. It's a very psychological strategy as well, just knowing like, oh, look, he could do this, he could do that. And it makes people play very differently. So, I, you know, it has gone down the value, but the value is still enough that I want it there. And also, like, that detachment doesn't benefit that much from anything else. It's not going to really sacrifice anything else. Yeah. Do you find you spend your command points usually, like, uh, doing lying in wait tricks and stuff like that? Yeah, almost entirely. Um, I'll use the lying in wait. The problem with that, I found, though, is like, Marines are everyone custodies and they all have intercept strategies to just obliterate brood brothers that if you're gonna go put brood brothers in and align and wait them and you're just two objectives or do something that's really good get you a lot of points or something most marine players just or even Eldar could just oh I'll just pay two CP and pick those up. 
Um, so I don't think I'm that. You just kind of went in and out for that entire sentence or two. Let me just read yeah. that part. Yeah, sure. so, where did you last year when I was just talking about the Brothers? I basically just asked where you spend your CP if it's lying lying in wait. And uh, then... Yeah, usually it's just lying in wait with them. Um, but the problem I found is that so many armies have intercept now, like with space marines, like studies have it, normal space marines have it, and that's such a prevalent part of the meta that someone's not going to let you just do like steal two objectives, get a secondary with one unit. You're just going to use two CP to intercept them and just pick them up. And then you've already spent that CP. So at worst case, it's a CP lock. So do you normally just spend your command points on like lying in wait and those objective stealing tricks? Yeah, that's basically how I use the Brute Brothers. It's just um, lying in wait. But, but the issue with that, I found, is so many units, mainly Marines, have the inter- you know, be able to intercept units. So, you know, a Marine player who probably has a bunch of CP, it's not just going to let you come in, steal two objectives, and get a secondary point. They're just going to use um, Auspex Scan and just kill them. And in worst case, they spend two CP, you spend two CP with the wash, and they've denied that, and they've killed the unit for free. Um, so it's kind of why I've moved over to considering Hormagons in that, in that role instead of the Brew Brothers. But, I mean, they're still a good unit, so you can deep strike and get scramblers and stuff like that. Well, it's also, the in that idea, the, the Space Ring player isn't guaranteed to kill 10 Brew Brothers. Like, maybe if it's like a unit of aggressors, yes, you are dead. But, like, five intercessors, 10 shots, probably doesn't kill 10 models. No, it, you're absolutely right. Um, it's not. It's definitely not a guarantee. But I've just had scenarios where you know it's not auto pick them up, but it's enough that you know there's a few left, and maybe you can only steal one objective with them then, and then even morale is an issue. And it, it's just you know for a two CP stratagem, it's just not any sort of guarantee. Um, I mean, I still do it, still done it. It's just something I've. It's just something I've noticed. Like I, I still definitely use it, but it's just kind of like oh. I have to play around this or maybe I have to position these differently instead of just work carte launch. Right, right. Especially against, like, I find Blood Angels the most obnoxious. Their stupid six inch heroic intervention. Uh, it's yeah, I mean, I mean that, that's just brutal. <laughs> yeah, there's no good way around that. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't really have an answer for you on that one. But, uh, <laughs> um, the only other strategy I'm using them sometimes, I'll give the, like, the Ridge Runners the plus one to wound strategy for the mine lasers. Like, I, I played someone who had um, two repulsors. And, you know, that was just, I was just going all in on, like, I know I could kill these, I should kill these, and I just want to make sure of it, so I'll throw the plus one to wound on sometimes for the plus one CP. Nice insurance policy. Do you ever do the plus one damage on your Exocrines? Yeah, quite often, actually, on the, um, the the one that gets, you know, uh, Symbiote Storm, when you buff that. Yeah, because then you're exploding on your fives as well. Yeah, exactly. I found that extremely, you know, I, I usually just don't do it if I'm shooting, like, Normal stuff, but there's something very important, like like just like you know, we get a lot of value of it because it is two CP and you are light on CP. But that's another thing, like having your back pocket that's serious damage you can be doing. But mm-hmm. like if you roll a little hot with that and you get like you know, five or six, six five ups, it's like it's bananas the amount of damage. Oh, yeah, I've, I it's such a exploding fives doesn't sound like it's that. I mean, it's good, no one's gonna tell you it's bad, but like. It's very easy to spike fives and sixes in this game. So you roll your 12 shots across two shooting instances, and it's like, oh, I rolled six fives. I have 18 hits now. What? Yeah, exactly. exactly. I had that once against, uh, I did, I rolled it out against like 10 intercessors, something you had, and like, it just, there were like two of them left, like maybe one. They feel a pain on them, a five in bowl, and it was like, it was wild. It was just one, yeah. one extra good shooting. So definitely. Cool. So I do want to transition the topic a little bit and focus on, well, I guess we should focus on your pre-game choices, like your Warlord trait. You kind of mentioned some of your adaptations, your psychic powers, any of that stuff. Relics. Anything you do yeah. there? Yeah, I mean, usually uh, the Exocrines get the 5 of Invul save. Um, I found that beneficial because in some games they can just sit out in the open and shoot all game and not really be uh, threatened too much. But in some games you are going to play stuff that just has way better anti-tank than you do. Um, and in that case, I found, you know, you can usually hide the two Exocrines near the corner L in some cases. And then having the five in allows you, you bring out one, you can put it in a position where usually only like half the table can see him. And you can put Catalyst on him. So even if you have exceptional anti-tank, a five in with five up feel no pain, and you're choosing, you know, the line of sight they have against you, really gives you a lot of value out of that, um, where it becomes extremely difficult to kill that. So I found the, I found the five up in Extremely valuable. Mm-hmm. So that pretty much covers the world of trade. As far as psychic powers, I mean, I have three zone throps and two neurothropes, so I can pretty much take anything I want. But it's usually catalyst, 
uh, psychic scream or uh, yes, catalyst psychic scream, and then maybe you know the horror um, I'll take or even onslaught sometimes, but it's mainly those two that I'm, I'm really going for. Makes sense. Yeah, and the, you uh, know that's the end of the, like, the catalyst usually goes on uh, one of the exocrines in that case or. You know, sometimes I'll throw it on a unit of zoanthropes, and then I'll be extremely aggressive with that unit. I'll use like metabolic overdrive or something with them to flame them like really far off the board and just stay on an objective. Um, because five zoanthropes with three up invul and five up uh, feel no pain is extremely difficult to kill and really annoying. So it allows me to be like very aggressive with them. Mm -hmm. I do have a question about the zoanthropes. Yeah. Uh when there's six of them, they get a better smite than when there's five. Do you take five because of the uh, unit size restrictions? Is that why they're five? Yeah, basically. Um, it's, I mean, it's also a points thing, but the five is, they're a unit that really wants to stretch out and spread out and maximize that. Um, and I found that taking the six kind of limits that a lot. And then you also have the issue of, um, you know, it's not really an issue, but just getting extra hits against blast is also a negative. That that's not the deciding factor, but it just kind of piles onto it. But the the, the ability to stretch out with them and the coherency is the main reason why they're five. Yeah, it's crazy that a six man unit stretches out less than a five man unit, but I mean, it's one way to do it. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's it's totally true, and that is I'm sure you know Nick knows he's using it. Being able to really stretch out with them is a huge. Uh, yeah, you want to typically have the zone throw strung out as much as possible so that they can. You can choose which model is smiting with, or they can go left, they can go right and influence different portions of the table. But it's really nice, especially like having a smite coming from this side of my unit or being all the way on the opposite side of my unit 15 inches away, because then it's like, well, on the left, if I smite with the far left one, I'll be smiting five scouts. But if I smite with the far right one, I'll be smiting an impulsor. Like it's two very different kinds of. Yeah, absolutely. It's also good for like the uh, denies. I can say, okay, there's one in the rear is smiting versus one in the front. Uh, that kind of thing. Yeah, I do that all the time. One of the things with denies and psychic powers in this game is you kind of dance this relationship with your opponent, and this is something I teach all the time in the worm, where you and your opponent can kind of have a gentleman's agreement where you stay out of each other's deny ranges, and then you know my powers will go off, your powers will go off, I'll just respect that. Or you can push your psychers really far forward. Now my powers are unreliable because I'm in your deny range, but so are yours, and then you're both going to have to deal with that. With Zoanthropes, you get the best of both worlds. You can cast Smite with the far back one or whatever, and then the close one can be in deny range, putting up shadows and pissing off your opponent. Yeah, that's a good point about shadows. That's a, a similar thing as well, where you can not only push the denies, but you can be like, I can deny yours and your minus one to cast, and I can cast with impunity. What's uh, what's shadows? I'm sorry, please explain that. I don't. Oh, you know, shadows in the warp. It just um, all the psychers when 18 get minus one to cast of any uh, creatures with synapse, and that's Zoanthropes. Okay, and that's like a stratagem for one CP or something? No, it's just a general rule they have. It's like one of their classic rules they've had since like second edition. Oh, very cool. Psychers. Yeah. It's typically hard to get real use out of. Pretty much all the Synapse creatures that are Psychers have this rule. But um, like you said, you you want to have that gentleman's agreement with your opponent where like, I really don't want to have you risk denying Catalyst or Onslaught, for example. So I'm going to stay far away. Unfortunately, this means I also don't get to use Shadows. So now it's you get Shadows, you get the cast without being in an iron range. It's a really nice thing. Do you yeah. find that Zoanthropes really do that much? They are, what, 225 for 5, and it's 2d3 mortal wounds. That's a pricey, pricey 2 mortal wounds. It is. Um, I think what they give you, at least in the context of this list, and so, and honestly, most of the list, is there's something that can just stay in the open and exist, which has a lot of value for Chernets, because even in Gene Circle, is, is an extremely fragile uh, action. So being able to have something that can just kind of stand in the open, doesn't need to be behind a wall, doesn't need to be terrified of everything, gives a lot of value. And they also, you know, the mortal wound output can be, like if you do just get it off and get your, your four mortal wounds per unit, like, you know, essentially average, it, that is a lot against the right targets. Um, and there's also just a lot less units I've found so far that you want to be, don't want to be smited. Like there's just a lot less guards and grots and just trash units. So what you are smiting are things that don't want to be don't want to be hit by that. So there's also increased value from that. I mean, there are it's those turns. Kind of a general principle of the addition. There's uh, every, the point cost in the game has gone up. So the value you get out of doing mortal wounds has gone up. Yeah, that, that's basically what it is. Um, I mean, there, trust me, there are those turns where you go and you roll and you fail a sight, you fail a smite, one passes, you roll, you, you do two mortal wounds, and the other one does and fails. 
And it's like, okay, I just spent 775 points to do absolutely nothing. Absolutely, that's a real thing. Um, I just, that, once again, they fall under the, maybe there's, there was a better alternative, I would consider it. I just haven't seen it as far as what they give you for board presence, durability, those kind of things. And also, you know, they give, just give you something that, that isn't guns. Like, I don't really see that much great combat in Tyrion's and Jesus or Colton anymore, which is strange to think about. But they give you something that just isn't shooting guns. I do have another question about zoanthropes. Is there any consideration, because you are giving up uh, Bring It Down, and you're also now giving up Abhor the Witch, is that right? I don't think they're that bad at Horror the I have to reread that secondary exactly, but I think the, I don't think they give up the Horror the Witch that badly, because I think you need to kill like the whole unit. Yeah, you get the whole you have to kill the whole unit and you get two points out of it. Abhor okay. the Witch is really nice when you're blowing up five man Rubik squads or strike marines, but it's actually terrible versus Zonthropes. Okay, yeah, cool. it's just so hard to actually wipe them. Yeah, Zonthropes are, are very durable. So I, I will say your list has a lot of things that that exist pretty well. I mean, even even ridge runners are fairly durable for their points, and then zoanthropes are very durable, and then exocrines are actually toughness eight. And you give them a five up invol, now they're suddenly shrugging off a third of the stuff that actually is good at killing them. So it's really deceptive, but I, I would say your list is almost like a modern day Nedzilla in a way. Yeah, I mean, it kind of is. It, you know, I think uh, the you know the zoanthropes are almost like a monster. Now they're, they're a large unit over two hundred points. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it basically is function like in a, a modern-day Nedzilla. So here's a question for... That's kind of more advanced for the Nids and one that I've struggled with. You're splitting your high fleets, which makes perfect sense. You want six up of Felon Pain and Leviathan Zoanthropes. You want... Because the three three wound models love six of Felon... Just any Felon Pain, but you know. And then you have Kronos on your Exocrine attachment because Symbiote Storm is an amazing psychic power for Exocrines. How do you... You're now splitting your buffs a little bit. You're not... If you were to take a Malanthrope, that would become... You know, it's only affecting half of your army, that kind of thing. Where did you draw the line that you're like, I don't need my Malanthrope, that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, the Malanthrope is a unit that I've never been super fond of. Um, I mean, the minus one to hit is nice, but it's three inches. And for one thing, it doesn't affect the Gene Circle, so that's just out the window. So what I'm really trading is, you know, the minus one to hit. It probably isn't going to be on the Exocrines, because they usually want to be on the opposite ends of the table, so they can make sure they get the best firing lane. So best case, you're getting one of those... And then the zone throws would be nice, but now I'm putting more units into zone throws. So like I already have, you know, what, 775 plus 95 for the neurothrope. Now I'm going to add in another, what is he, 130 now or something to give them minus one to hit. It just, it's a lot of investment for minus one to hit. I, 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 I find it at least personally. Yeah, no, that's perfectly reasonable. I did my, I actually bent my army in half. I made my entire army a mono Leviathan thing so I could get value out of it. And my exocrine was so disappointing as Leviathan instead of Kronos. So it's oh, an interesting yeah, I mean, that, that's valuing, not even, yeah. Yeah. You're valuing efficiency amongst your units over min minus one to hit. And I, I went for minus one to hit and I, I think I deeply regret it. I also played against Blood Angels and minus one to hit did nothing there, but you know. I've also found with it depends on the deployment, but the forest or whatever the train is called for them, being able to give minus one to hit is super valuable in that way as well. Like I found that's coming to play quite a bit where the, the minus one to hit is almost redundant. Yeah, the, especially like it kind of depends on what your local terrain is, but forests uh, are a great just source of minus one to hit. Or if you have weird kind of ruins that local game stores tend to have that don't really make sense, those buildings now, uh, they actually have rules that aren't ruins. They're industrial structures, which also actually give minus one to hit. I did not know that, but that's why you're here. That's my job. <laughs> <laughs> industrial ruin. There you go. Industrial structure. Oh, sorry. I've got a question, but before we do that, let's take a quick break from a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. Okay, uh, Dallas, quick question. Um, is there, Swarm Lord's not in your list, right? Uh, in this version, he is not. In the one I want to try next that I've been trying to improve upon, he is in it. So what do you think is the concept for the future list where you want to include him? What's the purpose there? So basically, you know, I found with this list is 
it's kind of just a pile of efficient units. Um, there aren't many tricks to it. It just kind of is like, these are good units and there's lots of them. And I've just found in some of the games I've played where it's just, if I play something that changes out, shoot me a lot, or I just go second in the wrong terrain, the wrong deployment, I'm just playing down Ridge Runners or something. And there's no, there isn't enough way to leverage um, there's no player, player skill like, in yeah. that. It just kind of like, there are games I played where I played like a Marine player. He had like uh, two repulsors and I was just like, the train wasn't great. I went first and it went well and I, you know, I went up winning, but I was like, I could have just gone second there and he could have just absolutely nuked six Ridge Runners and then he still has those and then I just get shot off the table and there's really not much to do. And I, I hate the idea of that. I hate the idea of like, I need to go first to win this game. Um, so I've kind of at least tried a theory, you know, a list that can work around that. I'm going to pause you that, real quick because yeah. you've made me so proud all in one sentence. Dallas, like I said in the beginning of the podcast, is someone who I've kind of coached through competitive 40K before I was even a competitive 40K coach. And I literally always preach things like learn from your wins, don't blame dice, um, put yourself in positions to leverage your player skill instead of using your list to do all the work. And he's literally just using all that right at me. I'm, I have a <laughs> proud teacher moment right now. You can keep going. I'm so, I'm so glad. Thank you for inserting your your own vanity into that. <laughs> what else am I here for? <laughs> anyway, if I can continue with my thoughts. Um... No one cares about those. <laughs> All right. No, go ahead. So basically what it's gone into is, um, I don't have any genes that are cult in this, but it's uh, attachment of Kronos, which is a neurothrope and three exocrines. The third exocrine has gone into existence because the power level changes recently, where he can go into reserves for just one CP. Um, so if I'm playing someone who has risk of just blowing me off the table, I can usually hide the two with the five of invul saves behind a wall, and then I can strategic reserves the one that doesn't have the invul save, or I can't hide them. If I'm playing someone who really can't threaten them, I can just put three exocrines on the board. Um, I've just found them so efficient this edition that I don't mind putting another one in, especially when I can hide them if I need to. And then going back to old school, if the, the next attachment is a high, uh, high fleet kraken, and it's swarmler, neurothroat, uh, three by five zone tropes, and then just a bunch of main Horvagant squads. Um, the zone tropes, I think, could you can there's an argument to be made that they're better as Kraken than Leviathan because of the speed it gives you with them. They're so reliable of moving like 10 to 11 inches. Uh, how often is that something you need to do? Um, I found like getting up the table can be, you know, it can be how like if you're trying to smite something, even if you have 24 inches in the table smaller, sometimes you advance them and they just roll a one and it's like, oh, that sucks. And they don't make it to the objective. They don't make it within smite range. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's most of the time it's better than Leviathan, but I don't think it's it, like, it, uh, it's not like being cracking is a yeah, terrible it's not alternative. Like it's an objectively worse thing. I think there's situations where it could be better. There's just less likely to come up. Um, I mean, it's yeah. probably better playing for primary, right? Because you're just more likely to get where you need to be to be standing in the yeah, right spot. It, it just, yeah, it allows you. Yeah. It allows the, you to play them aggressively much more um, reliably. In the fact that you can also use the um, the stratagem to double move them, where they can just move twenty inches if you want to, fairly reliably. Like Medoc overdrive them, three d six advance, double it, and then you just move twenty inches, and you can kind of rely on that. This was a question I forgot to ask before when we were talking about the zones. But do you ever use their strat? The one that does mortal wounds in an area of effect. Honestly, very rarely, especially now with like where I'm usually smiting. The only time I've used it before is when my choice is like smite a bunch of garbage, or maybe do some damage to some characters. But now, usually, I'm smiting high value targets, and the stratagem is a little difficult to set up to begin with. But even then, it's not like it. It's you know that amazing. You could just roll not well enough and just not do that much damage. Yeah, like, it's it's. It's a lot of four ups and potentially five ups if you're hitting characters that you cannot re-roll. And like, even if you roll like five units, how many times have you rolled one four up on five dice and just yeah, left the whole uh, thing? I mean, people yeah. always joke about like four up invul saves are like for an army are either broken or don't do it or like don't do anything. And I, I come from the Nick Navani school of hide in the corner, don't do anything unless it's guaranteed to happen. <laughs> Take no risks. So that is not that is not for me. <laughs> Absolutely cool. No, I, I think a lot of people. I, it's such a polarizing strat. I've heard people being like, this is the most broken thing in the world. Dudes at every turn. Oh my God, it's a broken. And I have like a lot of mid players I actually talk to are like, I don't even use this thing. Yeah. I mean, unless there's some magical situation where like somebody's just having like a character party in the middle of the table and like you could just wipe out a bunch of stuff. I mean, yeah, sure. Go for it. 
but beyond that, I'd rather just smite and do my, you know, average 12 mortal wounds to somebody. Makes perfect sense. Um, but the, I mean, the big part of this list, though, is the Hormigons, which I played with the different unit size. I don't know if I want some 15 mans. I don't know if the 10 mans are enough because I don't know if they can, you know, take some damage when you walk into stuff. I don't know if you lose them. Like, but basically, the idea is that, you know, you have the ability to run them up the table. They're OPSEC and they can go with Swarmlord, anyone that touch any objective. And you can do it with multiple units. Maybe one unit gets Swarmlorded, um, one unit gets Metabolic Overdrive. One unit gets um, whatever the double the advanced one is. I forget the name of it, but and it just allows you to get obsec almost anywhere on the table. And it also is like you know I'm going to fling this unit up, touch something, steal these two objectives from you. And it just it allows you to leverage player skill, at least in my in my head. I think there are some matchups like against like the idea of a death guard or something where they're going to run up the table. They don't give a fuck about your hormigons. They're just going to swarm these objectives and they don't help you. But against Marines or like a lot of armies that rely on guns to just win, they're super valuable. No, that makes a lot of sense. That's actually the direction I'm heading in with my nids. I haven't been playing them nearly as much as you have, to be fair, but uh, I think a Swarm Lord, Kraken detachment of just throwaway trash. I, I took a mix of Gaunts and Hormigons. I don't think they all need to be Hormigons, but definitely speed that you can just throw out yeah, and be I mean, sacrificial. I think you're seeing that all over the place as a successful thing. For yeah, no, edition. I think you could be totally... I mean, the Hormig I, like I said, I have not put this list on the table yet, so the Hormigons are kind of like the filler for that, but I've even started using like maybe one or two units of gargoyles just because they're really fast. They would fly, they can touch so much stuff. I thought of like even like a min unit of raveners because they're just also extremely fast and they don't need, you know, if you want to charge stuff, they don't have to be cat, they don't have to be onslaughted. The cormorants can't have to be onslaughted to go really far. Uh, raveners just move 12 inches. It's like a min unit of them to touch stuff. I mean, there's all sorts of things. It's basically just insert whatever trash you want, whether it's obsec or it's faster or whatever you want to go with, but they just, touch stuff and try to steal objectives. Yeah, and I think mm -hmm. that's really important to explain for new players. Because you score objectives at the start of your turn, so when it's Dallas's turn, and if he rockets Hormigants, Termagants, something with OPSEC, and just gets one guy onto an objective that's being held by, you know, say it's, say it's being held by an Impulsor or something stupid, right? He just, took, he just denied that, that person at least five points and maybe ten uh, on primary, right? Um, and that that taking ten points away from your opponent is a quick way to victory, <laughs> if you think about it, because you only have four turns to score primary. So uh, you know if if he can do that for two turns or three turns with various different bullets, where he's just without having to roll any dice, really, without having to do anything special, you're just taking away the opportunity for your opponent to score on primaries because you've got these offset guys that can go get on objectives. And so it also forces your opponent like, Oh God, I gotta, I gotta kind of kill these guys. Um, and so they're not killing your stuff. That's doing damage to them too, at the same time. So I think it's pretty brilliant. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's absolutely what it is. So let's kind of focus on the mission. This is where I want to wrap up the discussion. Before we go there, I have one last question. Um, Dallas, have you considered like one ripper swarm just to, uh, give you the option to drop in for behind enemy lines or drop in for scanners or drop in. That was my question, John, but it wasn't rippers. It was, it was because I, I tried it with rippers. Rippers are, in, are not infantry, they're swarms. Who would have thought ripper swarms are swarms? So oh, you I can't you, actually yeah. use scramblers on that. Um, so I was going to ask about a solo lictor and then follow up to that is have you considered what secondaries do you take? Gotcha. Okay. Well, you go ahead with that uh, and I'll just sit here and be quiet. My bad. <laughs> Yeah, I've tried honestly a lot of that, a lot of that stuff. I tried like a five man unit of rippers that I would like catalyst and throw an objective and it was just super obnoxious to get rid of. Um, I've tried the lictor. I've tried a sanctus even with the knife, just with the free cold ambush to just try to go in and just touch stuff. What is the sanctus with a knife? Just so oh, people sorry. Know. It's just uh, the, the sanctus is a little gene Slayer cult assassin guy who gets um, cult ambush, which is, you know, the, the move after you come in from reserve stratagem. He just gets a dinky little close combat knife. It's decent, but it means he can come in cold ambush for free, which is usually a three piece, uh, three CP stratagem, and then he can just walk in and touch tanks or you know do things like that. And he's like sixty points, and I, so I tried him. He's just another small little character that can get behind enemy lines, get um, scanners, etc. So you know, with this list, I think the speed of what I have with the Hormigons can kind of replace that. So they're not necessarily deep striking in, but there's so many ways to make them really fast where they can accomplish the same thing. That's at least the thought for this it might be a case where i miss the gene circle ability or like the lictor or something um but that was the idea is they can kind of take the place of a lot of those small little dinky uh units that would just come in and get unit get points yeah 
Makes a lot of sense. Um, things like Lictors, Rippers. What, what do you think the balance is there? Like between having those small rinky dink units to accomplish mission stuff and having none of them? Because obviously they don't kill your opponent. They're just there to do mission things. Yes, yeah, so I think the balance between that is, you know, ideally you, you want to get those units out of um, slots in your detachments that you need to take anyway. So like you need to, you know, a third elite or a, a final troop or whatever it is. Ideally, you're going to slot in those units there. Um, I am, I think to a level you can take units like that and to like where you're like, okay, I'm going to actually spend real points for this. Um, if it's like a lictor, like a couple lictors or um, like the Sanctus or stuff like that. But I really don't think you should spend much more than like 100, 150 points on that kind of stuff. Um, if it's not like mandatory as far as like, that's why Brood Brothers honestly are so good. is because they're troops, they're obsec, and they can do all of that stuff. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I find myself going out of my way to include Brood now, but just because they're obsec and they do that kind of mission stuff really well. Yeah, I mean, they're all just, you know, it's 10 bodies. Of a five, they're pretty much, just, it's, as far as like the trash units go, they're pretty much top of the heap for like your five point unit. They have a five armor save, they have good leadership, and they can do all the great stratagem stuff. And last guns, you know? Oh, yeah, don't forget the last guns. And they can do the grenade trick thing. They oh, yes. Yeah, so I'll tell fire frag grenades. That's broken. I've never, I've never used it for one day. Lying in wait. Perfect ambush. Shoot them twice. Do, do frag grenades have blast? No, they're grenade. Damn, never mind. Not not, not broken. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do. I think frag grenades are blast. I, they could be. I, I don't know. No, Please. I think they are, actually. No, okay. There you go, Nick. John just, just sniped you. Put me in my place. Yeah. That happens more often than should ever be possible, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I think he believes that. All right, so last question I have for you. Are there like go-to secondaries that you typically take with this army? Uh, you know, you've mentioned scanners a lot. I think you mean scramblers instead, but whatever. Um, maybe raise the banners, engage on the fronts, anything like that that you recommend for team players? Yeah, I mean, raise the banners is usually a go-to um, with this. And also uh, to pull it, deploy scramblers. It's scramblers, right? Scram scanners or scramblers. scramblers. Yeah, yeah scramblers is usually good. Um, I know people are like, oh, that only gives you 10, but uh, I find an easy, super easy 10 is often a go-to um, with these missions. Because if you can't get scramblers, like, I don't, I don't know what's gone wrong with you if you're using Chan's Interesting Sarah Cult, because it's only a free 10 points. Um, that raised the banners. I think uh, engaging all fronts can be good. That's the recon one, right? Yeah, I think that can be good. Uh, you do have to start really getting all the quarters to kind of ramp up the points on that, or you'll find that, like, late in the game you have six points on it because you've only been doing you know th uh three units but that's a good one pretty much any just the positioning or movement ones like that's what this army is really good at is just is speed and being able to deploy uh, do deployment tricks um and that kind of stuff so i usually focus on those kind of secondaries and then you know army dependent if someone has a million tanks you take that if someone has a bunch of units you take that but beyond being army specific that's usually the thought process that i go into or i've even taken the uh like on Dawn of War specifically, the one where you have to be in your opponent's deployment zone. Because like if you if someone deploys like in a corner on Dawn of War, you can usually throw like Rippers or Brood Brothers behind a wall, like opposite to their deployment, and they're just gonna sit there all game and they can't really do anything about it. And you can track the points out. Yeah, the different deployment zones really impact your ability to do stuff. I know uh, like you said, Dawn of War linebreaker becomes a much easier secondary. Uh, and then something like engage in all fronts becomes a little bit harder in Hammer and Anvil, for example. Yeah, totally. I mean, they're all those are all considerations. I mean, I think you go into the game with a, like in this edition with a general concept of what you want to achieve, but you have to be malleable when it comes to actually getting to the table and deployment and the army you're playing against, etc. Yeah, it's not like eighth edition where it's like I'm going to take recon uh, engineers and the one killing one that I have to based on my opponent. You know, you just have, you have like three or four, you can kind of float between that are all movement based and you pick them on the moment. Yeah. The only one I, the only one I feel like that about is scramblers. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I think another one that might actually work well for your list, Alice, and I'd like to hear your input on this is attrition with everybody going to MSU. You've got a lot of fairly difficult stuff to kill. So I think in a lot of cases you should be able to kill more units than your opponent. That's actually a great point. And that's one I have taken quite a bit of, um, when you play against exactly what you said, a bunch of people with five, you know, five-man units and stuff running around. Um, not as much with the version with a bunch of Hormigons, but the one before, I really don't have that much trash with those units. I mean, the Ridge Runners, the Zone Thrips, and the Exocrines. And even, even the units that I do have, I can like they're not just stuck on the table. They're usually in reserves. They can deep strike. So if that's something I need to take, I can kind of control or dictate my opponent's ability to kill those. Um, 
so the, yeah, that's a great point. That is a, a secondary that you could definitely take, um, you know, have in the back of your head when you go to the table. Awesome. Well, John, were there any other questions you had for Mr. Tubbs? No, no, I don't want to, I don't want to overstep. So I'm going to, I'm going to call it very good. So. <laughs> you got I know. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much for coming on Dallas. Appreciate having you. Yeah, of course. It was great to, uh, great to be on here. I'm proud to be worthy. All right. You, you, you're definitely worthy and I'm not going to let Nick put you down because I'm the nice guy on the podcast. I would never put him down. <laughs> You've done it like three times on this podcast. What are you talking about? If, if this was not entirely Warhammer related, we could have a real back and forth, Nick and I, but we'll keep those stories to ourselves. Yeah, it's professional. <laughs> yeah, All right. Exactly. Speaking of professional, thank you everyone for tuning in to the, this episode of the Art of War podcast. Uh, hopefully you'll come join us on our Patreon for part two, where we're going to dig into matchup discussions or the tactics of how to play these uh, Tyranid slash GSC lists. Uh, Dallas will help us break down what you're looking to do in those individual matchups. It's a great value. It's like $6 a month. There's like 60 hours or something of awesome high-level players telling you how to play their lists and what they're looking for in their their matchups. And one thing that's great about it is you don't, you're not only hearing like how they play their matchups, but you're also hearing how they're going to play against you. So even if you're not playing his Tyranid list, if you sit across from Dallas, you at least have a leg up on anybody that's going to use his advice and play his list or against the man himself. So that's the reason why you should join our Patreon. That's enough of a shill for now. Thanks again. We'll see patrons. We'll see you guys all in part two. Everyone else, peace and love. We'll be back soon. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K.com where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect. connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.